This official podcast coverage of OzCert's 2012 conference is brought to you by Arbor Networks. Smart. Available. Secure. Datacom TSS. Discreet. Niche. Tailored. And Sophos. Secured. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this Risky Business podcast from OzCert's 2012 conference on the Gold Coast. I'm Patrick Gray. In this interview, we chat with Juniper Network's Chief Security Architect, Christopher Hoff. Now, I posted the audio of Chris's plenary talk yesterday, uh, and it was very interesting stuff, so do check it out if you get a chance. He basically outlined his vision for security automation, or security at scale, made possible through automation. A part of that vision is advocating more communication and integration between apps and infrastructure. Chris thinks apps should be able to interact directly with networking infrastructure through APIs. It sounds great, but could it be a disaster? It sounds a little bit like a hacker's wet dream. Anyway, here's what Chris had to say when I caught up with him uh, in the hallway stream at OzCert yesterday. without intelligence is just stupid scale. So what I'm actually advocating is if we looked at the example I used where, uh, let's pick uh, failures in Amazon. Uh, anytime there's been a really nasty hiccup in AWS, for example, you can go onto the user forums and realize the complete Muppets that clearly don't understand the platform they're, de- they're developing on or deploying on because they'll be the first ones to say, oh my God, Amazon had a problem, therefore I'm down. People are dying, right? Entire countries, nation states are at risk. It's, it's really hysterical to watch where somebody will respond and say, well, um, how, many, how many instances are you running? Oh, one. In how many regions? Oh, one. In how many availability zones? Uh, one. Well, you're an idiot. I mean, the reality is this has very little to do with the failure, the, the failure uh, uh, aspects of Amazon itself, but more about not understanding that just because I have, a, I have a reasonably highly resilient infrastructure that I still don't have to plan around what happens in terms of failure. So the notion here is if you've seen DDoS attacks against people co-located in Amazon Web Services, in many cases in the early days we saw um, uh, folks getting uh, their, their uh, instances separated from their uh, EBS volumes because the physical interface on the box was getting pounded by a DDoS attack as it was targeting somebody else on that shared box. The application owner, the customer, didn't really understand because they don't see, they, they can't actually understand the physical boxes being pounded, didn't understand why their volumes were being disconnected. So what I advocate is the ability for the applications that exist above the hypervisor in an infrastructure service environment to understand and be communicated by the underlying infrastructure of the platform provider that something fishy is going on. So I can use that instrumentation to then adjust scale intelligently, not just spool up another 20 resources that may give you, you know, a, a hacker the ability to, for example, in, in about four years ago, I brought up the concept of EDOS, Economic Denial of Sustainability, where I, if somebody has enabled auto-scaling, all of a sudden I drive up your costs by basically enabling you to auto-scale, which runs up your cost, which you won't recover because I prevent somebody from actually using your website. Those sorts of attacks are basically when you have a complete disconnect between instrumentation and intelligence at the application layer and the infrastructure underneath. So if you plan accordingly, if you have good instrumentation, taking advantage of scale is a reasonable, prudent, and fantastic way of saying, I can scale up and scale down dynamically because I understand the environment. I don't advocate just saying, well, 
I was just deploy a hundred instances of a firewall because the load seems reasonable to do so. You should understand why that load is occurring if it extends outside the normal activity. Well, I think the interesting part of this concept for me is that we are talking about the fundamental problem of scale. Yep. You can do it as, you know, you can actually scale up or scale down in a dumb way, in a manual way, which you're always going to get wrong. And I guess what you're advocating is this automation approach. But then you're making scale incredibly easy. And it just seems that, first of all, any implementation of, of this sort of stuff that you're talking about is going to be pretty half-assed. And second of all, people won't implement it, like, you know, users won't implement it properly either. Could, I mean, does it seem that we're going from one disaster to another? Because, I mean, I, th I, I see the vision and I, I think it's awesome, but can't it just, isn't it a recipe for more messiness? It can. I mean, certainly, I think this comes down to... Uh, Maybe generational is, is a bit of a stretch because I know plenty of old guys that are working at really new, you know, amazing startups that are doing things they wish they could have done 20 years ago. Um, so this all comes down to, to reasonable prudence and expectation, understanding what you're designing for. I, I think clearly, if you're in an environment where you are having to support legacy applications and 2.4 versions of which, Talking about leveraging automation in this grand sense of things as we're discussing here seems like an impossibility. And the first thing we do is kind of crawl up in a fetal position and say, well, if I, if I enable automation, I'm, I'm expanding my attack surface versus looking at, and, and never generally is there a discussion about the benefits of doing that. Uh, but I think it's a reasonable thing to consider. I also think, however, that if you look at models like Netflix or Zynga or any number of, or even Facebook, folks that have built from scratch their environments, there aren't a lot of us that are lucky enough to design our architecture from scratch. This is a theme that you keep returning to, yep. this idea of greenfields versus legacy. Yep. I mean, if you had to rate it as a, as a security issue affecting business, how high up would you put bad legacy apps as an issue? Uh, 99%. I think that the issue that we have is, and, and the, the things we return to as a community from a security perspective, is that we are so mired in having to maintain previous design and architectural decisions and incurred of technical debt from the last decade plus that it's very hard to move forward. Very, uh, it's not very often that we get a chance to redesign our infrastructure data center. Five years ago, we started with that, with that opportunity with heavily virtualized data center and what VMware started to introduce in our data centers. And a lot of people have taken advantage of that where, where it's been messy and it will continue to be for the next, let's just say, five years. But what people are trending towards even internally as much as it's mocked from a marketing perspective, if I take virtualized data center as a stepping stone in a legacy environment where I've taken my legacy apps but I've virtualized them, and then I start to adapt the models of scale-out design against that architecture with a clear forward-looking you know, um, forward map and uh, vision towards where I want to get to, we will absolutely, I, I, can, I, I talk to customers every day who have better visibility and understanding as to what their applications and infrastructure performs like and looks like and ought to look like based on what is ordinarily considered this black hole with virtualization because they have started to design their architectures around the forward-looking design patterns that folks like Zynga and Netflix uh, enable. They may so never get there though. Yeah, cloud, cloud, I guess what you're saying is cloud seems to be a stepping stone away from all of this legacy nightmare that we're dealing with at the moment. It's a way of having a clean break and sort of doing that Greenfields thing, if only for a proportion of your apps and services. That's right. I mean, nothing, see, I mean, one of the things is you've got two camps in the cloud world, right? So I'm going to take a step back. You've got the public-only cloud apologists, these purists who say the only true cloud is, you know, X, meaning Amazon Web Services or Salesforce or whatever. And, and, the, and if, you, if you try to do anything from point A to point B without just a clean break, you're, you're just, you're, 
you're prophesizing heresy and you're, you know, you're, you're straying from the cause, you're a traitor. The reality is those people generally have something to sell, right? Usually one of the services that is public only cloud. The point is that I think what's happened is the realities of compliance, the complexity of legacy environments and how I get from point A to point B has started to become a recurring theme, not so much as an objection, but, a, but I mean from a, just a pure kind of, I'm a throwing up on your idea because I'm war, I don't have skill sets, to a, to a point of, look, I've rationalized what it is I could move to public-based cloud today and what I'm going to need to keep internally. That hybrid model, as it started with the internet, as it will through every phase shift, is, is what people need to work on. How, look, how can I set up my optimal design if I could start from scratch, and maybe there are greenfield opportunities that let me do that, and then how do I take what I have now, make it better and migrate to that? That's really the path we should be talking about. But we're so binary, it's like either you know, success or failure. The gray matter, the, the gray material in between is really where I'm focused, which is how do, I yield, how do I leverage the benefits of cloud and virtualization to improve my security posture? Let me focus on the things that matter most by aiming for what may be unattainable in the long term, but gives me something I can aim for that doesn't, doesn't preserve what I've been doing for the last 20 years. Now, you work for a large networking company, uh, Juniper, and you know really the role of a networking company has been slinging packets. I mean, all of the networking vendors have tried to add value, they've tried to add intelligence. I mean, do you think that that is what is something that we need to do? Or, I mean, how, how is it that you see that companies like Juniper won't just be confined to slinging packets? How do you think a company like yours is going to actually wind up being part of this, this this future way of doing things that's more intelligent and you know has there's a tighter integration between apps and uh, apps and infrastructure. How does that work? So this is this is the argument between networks should be just dumb pipes and the applications above them should have all the intelligence and capability. And what we find is historically that works well and good until what you end up needing is predictability, latent, low latency, high throughput on demand, service delivery from a from a value added perspective, whether it's security, quality of service, content inspection, whatever. So everything everything's great in a flat network. Uh, where um, you know you look at at uh, the kind of ebb and flow between people who say the network should be dumb, my app should need more intelligence, and we kind of have waffled historically between the dumb pipes, smart pipes issues for years. We always will. But, but dumb pipes are harder to fool. I think is also a security concept, right? So, so expand on what you mean by harder to fool. Uh, it's harder to mess with dumb networking kit. Well, I guess to a point, if it goes back to the point we talked about earlier about intelligent versus stupid scale. Like, I, I remember when I bought my first, uh, I went from Shared to my first Kalpana Ether switch back in the late 80s. Um, what was interesting about that, that, um, that move was we had, um, we had servers on a Shared Ethernet segment that were getting pounded. And we thought, well, if we gave each of them a dedicated 10 meg connection, it'll get better. And actually what it did was it, it, it transferred the problem from the network to the servers because the servers having a dedicated 10 meg pipe meant I had more resources I could consume off the servers and, my, and then I, I started to pound on a dedicated channel, a 10 megabit uh, connection. So then I realized I had to upgrade my servers, in which case the network became a bottleneck again. So, so you're toast either way. I like you. This right. is good. This yeah. is fun. So, so the point is finding the healthy balance in between. So I think ultimately what you see is um, two things happening. Traditional hardware-based network vendors will continue to play the speeds and feeds game. Better ASICs, full bisection bandwidth, huge amount of throughput, multi-terabit switches and routers, because Big Iron will never go away within the guise of the service providers who actually enable cross-connects, routing, peering, and all this transport. Like, whether you talk about optical internet, whether you talk about um, huge multi-terabit routers, consumers and people that look at cloud say, oh, I don't need to know about that stuff anymore. The reality is, how, does you how do you think your shit gets from point A to point B? It's not you know, aviary transport, and it's not a VM slinging packets from one point to the other. 
So that stuff will continue to occur. And so um, large network vendors will continue to have a, service, a serviceable market in the service provider area. What's changing, however, is the extension from that service capability from a physical-only environment to extending the capabilities into the virtual. Two things happen. And that's when you need customers being able to actually play with their infrastructure. That's right. You need to be able to uh, hook into provisioning and orchestration platforms um, above the physical networking layer to enable the connection between the physical and the virtual worlds. So one approach is to build virtual switches that augment or replace what exists in terms of the platform and cloud virtualization providers platform, which is an interesting approach, but I think is one in which um, the cost and value, uh, especially uh, supported across a wide ecosystem of vendors, is, is, uh, is difficult to rationalize for some folks. Or you make the network itself programmable, meaning you expose APIs and SDKs to allow application vendors to say, I have an app and it needs security level three and quality of service level four, whatever that means. So I can actually request if the network can deliver that to me and more importantly provision the network to, for, for example, provide better quality of service to one type of application over another. That's the smart versus dumb network approach. But so, you really want to make sure you get those APIs right, you, you know? You do. And, and how much confidence do you have that any vendor could successfully execute that in a secure way? So, if you, so that's a great question that extends beyond just networking. Um, if, you, if you look at Amazon Web Services, they're the de facto standard if you look at public-based cloud computing in terms of APIs. There are entire ecosystems, companies that are building uh, API equivalency to Amazon because they look at the capabilities that that provider, whether, it, whether it's only 80%, right, the 80-20 rule. Let's say Amazon does 80% of what most people need that's still a hell of a lot better than a proprietary implementation that only one vendor will support. So you could say AWS is that proprietary vendor, but when you have an ecosystem that gathers around it, that's a plus. So I think ultimately, what's starting to occur in the networking world is you have, you have vendors that have, a, have proprietary southbound APIs into the mechanisms that provision their actual, the guts of their routers and switches and firewalls, et cetera. But, they, but, there, but there are a series of open standards and APIs exposed northbound that allow a greater ecosystem to interact. So a great example of that would be a, the nascent development of, of OpenFlow, right? OpenFlow is, is, is an interesting protocol that allows you to separate the control and data plane in networking. So you can, for example, have... Um, this is a standard protocol, yeah, this one? Yeah, yeah. So you, you, it, it's basically an industry-supported uh, uh, activity that allows you, for example, to take less and less intelligence in the actual switching fabric itself, just you know, harness you know, pure throughput, and the brains gets exported to a control plane, which allows you to layer in services and understand the flows that are going on between these switch points. And so if you architect around the separation control and data planes to so where you can introduce services when necessary but maximize throughput on the other side, what you start being able to do is support northbound APIs that allow anybody to interact with your switching fabric, but then optimize for certain service delivery, um, including security, uh, at, a, at a higher level. So if you talk OpenFlow, for example, in the grand scheme of things down the road, I think the killer app, I've written about it before, the killer app for, for OpenFlow is actually security. I would love to be able to um, be able to have my network essentially optimized for performance in one, in one set of zones and capabilities and in another inject dynamically security based on the flow data that's occurring uh, uh, and utilization and behavior. So there's, there's a ton of opportunity that APIs give us to allow us to, if, if we really work hard and diligently, and there are companies and ecosystems and platforms that are doing a really good job of taking this API approach and um, really working hard to standardize it and take into consideration uh, from across vendors the ability to do it securely. Um, but, but, I mean, like you said, it's kind of a squeezing the balloon problem. I take 
30 uh, different networking vendors with their custom proprietary implementations for API and SDK and management interfaces, and now I have one. Uh, yeah, maybe I, what I've done is I've squeezed the balloon. Maybe that's more or less of an attack. It re the proof is in the implementation. But I think we ought to give it a chance because the benefits we get out of what we can do from an automated perspective is a, is a pure net win. Christopher Hoff, thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, no worries, thanks, man.